Hi, it's Patrick Cox here. And we're back with a one-off episode. I also have lots of exciting news about Subtitle and the Subtitle Adjacent World. Well, that sounds like a parallel universe. Anyway, more about that later. Okay, today's episode. I lived for a while in Alaska. In fact, it was the first place in North America I ever lived. I guess I've got kind of a skewed picture of the continent because in Alaska, Native American language and culture is really prominent. So a skewed picture in a good way. I mean, if I'd landed in, I don't know, New Hampshire, it just wouldn't have been the same. The news in Alaska, it was full of stories featuring Native Americans. There were cultural events. I worked alongside Native Americans, waiting tables in restaurants in Anchorage. I interviewed Native American politicians on local public radio. But what I never did, I guess because I was just too broke, was travel to the interior, to the villages, to the center of native Alaskan life, where you might hear people speaking in their own tribal languages. Or if they didn't speak them, they might be learning them from older people who still did speak them. This is a story about that, about keeping a language going against the arts. It's a story about an activist, a language activist who's from interior Alaska. Her name is Princess Dashrai Johnson. Princess is Nitsai Gwich'in, and she's learning her ancestral language of Gwich'in. Today, there's only a few hundred Gwich'in speakers left in the world. Kavita Pillay, Subtitles co-host, met Princess recently, and they talked. This is the result. The episode was originally commissioned by a podcast called Seedcast, which tells stories about indigenous people and indigenous issues. More about that later. First, here is Princess Dashrai Johnson speaking and singing in Gwich'in. So, Shalaknai Shojrita Jayoji Netsaiguch and Ithi, Shiohanai Catherine, Sa Stephen Peter Oji Gavakwa, Sa Shahan Atline, Sa Shati Ernest Rayboff Oji Gavakwa, Shijunai Katsaya, Sa Alzak, Sa Delnor, Sa Shakai James, Jukdrin Sho Ithi, Masicho. I introduced myself with my name and naming also who my grandparents are, because when you go to any community in our region, the first thing, if, you're, if you don't introduce who your family is, because that's really how people know you, they're going to say, whose kid are you <laughs> or who are your grandparents? And that is how we really know who people are. Generally, you would also say where you're from. So my home village is Vashrenko, even though I didn't grow up there. Um, it's still my home village. It's where my grandpa was from. Princess lives with her husband and children on the ancestral lands of the Dina people of the lower Tanana River. It's now known as Fairbanks, Alaska. Often when I talk with her, I get an update on what it's like just outside her door. I've heard about the colors of the leaves in October, how many degrees below zero it gets in January, the snow melt in April, and in late May. Well, today it is 
uh, gorgeous in which and you would say chitai shronch or gishrain ai chitai gishrain ai it's beautiful it's bright it's sunny it's warm it's supposed to get up to 70 degrees today and at that latitude springtime means that the days start getting long well sunrise at 3:52 a.m. sunset is at 11:42 p.m. there's another really important springtime event for the guichen community So the caribou should be on their migration back to the coastal plain of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, back to the calving grounds. And in Gwich'in, we call it Ijikwatsan Gwandai Gotlit, or the sacred place where life begins. So they'll go up to the coastal plain, and in a two-week period of time, they're going to have up to 40,000 calves. As I've gotten to know Princess and listened to her talk about what it means to be Gwich'in, This central relationship to the caribou comes up again and again. It's like there's water and air and land and the caribou. I mean, I feel like my very existence is in large part due to the existence of the porcupine caribou herd and the porcupine caribou herd is named after the Porcupine River actually that, you know, runs through our Gwich'in territories. in our communities everything is about you know survival when springtime and fall time arrive in our villages it's a sense of anticipation and excitement and they're coming like the vats i are coming and you know that you're going to eat good you know that you know the the hunters are going to go out there and that your hands are going to uh if you are blessed will be busy handling the meat and every time i am able to handle um our traditional foods like that whether it's processing fish or processing meat it gives me um it ignites what i feel like is my the core of my at the core of my dna which is this relationship to that animal you know in our culture the caribou give themselves to you It is such a, a humbling and like beautiful process. I do not take it for granted. I kept coming back to this point about the caribou giving themselves to you. It seemed poetic, like a metaphor for her commitment to studying the language. It's not the aggressiveness of a hunt. It's a patient, humbling, beautiful process. And there's also joy and fun in it. When I asked Princess whether she had any favorite words in Gwich'in, she pulled out a book called The Man Who Became a Caribou. Oh, that's a fun word. Ch'angwal, ch'angwal, which is the cannon bones of the caribou. And it's a favorite food for the community, especially up in Bashrank O and Bihtai, which is Vinitai. We're so associated with ch'angwal which that with that cannon bone that right here in the book it says a Fort Yukon man who saw a group of visiting nets it which in coming down the street reportedly made a humorous announcement saying um tangwal nayata the cannon bones are coming <laughs> that is just the epitome of guichen humor guichen connects princess to the land and to the people who came before her hundreds of generations who inhabited the area now known as Eastern Alaska and Western Canada for tens of thousands of years 
But Gwich'in is now spoken by only about 550 people. In 2018, the governor of Alaska declared a linguistic emergency to support 21 officially recognized Alaskan native languages, including Gwich'in, all of which are at risk of extinction. My grandfather never really spoke English. Um, and my grandmother, you know, they all, that primary language was Gwich'in. Gwich'in was my mother's first language. My mother was of that boarding school generation that was, you know, hit for speaking Gwich'in. Her journey and the journey of, of all those in her generation that went through the sort of trauma of the boarding school era, they are survivors. A few days after Princess and I spoke, news of a mass grave at what was once Canada's largest residential school made headlines around the world. There were 139 such schools in Canada and 367 boarding schools in the U.S. Princess's mom was among the hundreds of thousands of indigenous children from across Turtle Island who were forcibly separated from their families. In 2015, Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission made clear that these schools were a key part of the country's cultural genocide against indigenous people. In the most literal sense, Princess's mom and those who made it out were survivors. UNESCO has designated Gwich'in a severely endangered language, and UNESCO has a definition for this. It means the language is spoken by grandparents and older generations. While the parent generation may understand it, they do not speak it to children or among themselves. This parent generation, that's Princess's mom's generation. Growing up, she didn't teach us the language because she did not think it would serve us in this you know, modern white man's world. We are from a generation that we grew up hearing the language, but we could understand some of it, but we were not speakers. Over the past year, I've gained an awe for Princess's efforts to learn Gwich'in. Because if you've set out to learn a language after age 10 or so, you know the strength of will that it takes to do so. It can feel like climbing a sheer rock cliff. There's definitely moments where I feel frustrated in learning the language because I'm, I, I want to be fluent. I wish so badly that, you know, I had been brought up that it would, that which in was my first language. And it takes a certain vulnerability to learn a language as an adult because you're going to make a ton of mistakes and you have to let go of your ego. But language is such a defining trait of our species. It's how we create relationships with the people around us. It's also one of the ways we connect with those who came before us and those who will come after. Language is a connective thread across time. So when you're learning in order to revitalize an endangered language, a language to which you have ancestral connections, a language that was violently and deliberately suppressed. It's a scary thing and, and, and it's an emotional thing. <sighs> to learn our native languages. You know, knowing that they were intentionally eradicated. And so you wanna 
be in an environment with other people that understand that, that are sensitive to that, who are not going to make fun of you, you know, when you are not perfect in your pronunciation. On any given Saturday morning, you'll find Princess at a residential home outside Fairbanks. She goes there with seven or eight other people who are also learning Gwich'in, including her friend Alicia Gilbert, who is Gwich'in herself. Alicia and Princess have been friends for decades, and their friendship has centered on a shared love for Gwich'in culture. Immediately, you see signs in the Gwich'in language. You see some pictures of Jadaik, um, your jacket, or zir mittens, or hat, and um, also some sayings like "nakwaitretjenitya," um, which is "nakwaitret" um, or "kwaitret," and then "nakwaitret" is your shoes, right? Put them on or take them off. And these are commands that we need to use with our children every single day. And they're important um, pieces of the language that get us to that place where, you know, we are improving on our proficiency and fluency. Now, mind you, sometimes we do mess up and we say things that are real funny. So <laughs> it's hard not to laugh at ourselves, right? Like this one time when Alicia was learning how to say my teeth. It's like shaho, is uh, my teeth. Shaho. Shaho. Oh, shaho. Yeah, yeah my shuhu. teeth. Shaho. And their teacher came into the room. She's a Gwich'in elder named Hilda Johnson. And Hilda came in and she was uh, holding her cheek and was saying, oh, my teeth hurts. And I got all excited because I learned that word. And I said, oh, I was like, no, uh, and then she, uh, which I'm saying, uh, your teeth hurts. And she looked at me really weird and was just like shocked. And she was like, what you said? When I say shaho, that is my teeth. But when I say shaho, like with that long O at the end, it means, um, <laughs> it means my balls. <laughs> so mad testicles. So I said, your balls hurt. <laughs> you hurt. So it's really, you know, you have to say it just right. I feel like this happens all the time in which ends. So, yeah, that was a big learning curve for me. And they're not just learning, they're also creating in the language. Princess and Alicia have been working with Hilda on the short film that they're producing for the Reciprocity Project. It looks at what reciprocity means to them as Gwich'in women. It's entirely in Gwich'in. Alicia is the narrator, which required some coaching from Hilda. We'll just do one line at a time. Okay. I but I trot a green day. I but I trot a green day. I but I trot. So I had two coaches. I had Hilda and Princess. Gwich in tree leads a nuts a grande quincy de go eye. And Hilda was coming at me with 
trying to get the tone down and trying to say it um, precisely how I'm supposed to say it. So she was really stern and direct with me when speaking. And then I had Princess beside me and she was coaching me on how to, you know, how to um, have the words come from my heart and also have, you know, really mean what I'm saying. I would say, these days, there's a growing sense that mediums like film and audio and even social media can bring new momentum to preserving and promoting indigenous languages. For an oral language like Gwich'in, being able to share it by hearing it has obvious advantages over written materials like textbooks. Princess is part of a generation of indigenous creatives embracing the ways in which film, television, and an expanding number of other technologies can revive a language. The reason why I really wanted the film um, to be in Gwich'in is, well, one, why not? <laughs> um, I wanted to showcase that our generation is really making the effort to use the language and express ourselves in the language, and it's really powerful. There's such a vulnerability in showing ourselves on film. This is us reclaiming our language. So I just think the whole experience has been really healing. It's been so much fun, and that's been really nice. If you spend time around children of a certain age, you may already be familiar with some of Princess's work. Molly of Denali is an animated TV show on PBS. It's the first national children's show centered on an Alaskan native main character. Princess spent four years as a creative producer on Molly. And I'm still writing for the show, making sure that it was not only as authentic a portrayal as possible, but that we were also incorporating our Alaska Native values, making sure that we were really as best we possibly could taking that opportunity of a story that is going to be broadcast ultimately to an international audience to counter the harmful stereotypes that have permeated media for since the beginning of the film <laughs> of indigenous people. Molly is a lively 10-year-old who celebrates her culture. And words from Gwich'in and other Alaskan native languages are a regular feature of the show. But Molly of Denali also addresses painful topics. In an episode titled Grandpa's Drum, Molly learns that her grandpa was sent off to boarding school as a child, where he was forbidden to sing in his own language. Your grandfather, he did not like that. He was proud of his family. He loved our traditions. So your grandpa, he said, if I can't sing our songs, I just won't sing anymore, ever. 
A lot of kids did the same. That's why so many of us stopped using our language and singing our songs. Molly's grandpa does sing again when Molly finds his drum and sings this song. It was composed by Princess and her colleague, Dewey Cochlea Hoffman. They wrote it to honor all who survived boarding schools. I don't know if you've ever watched Molly of Denali, or if you have kids, if they've ever watched it. And who am I to judge anyway? I'm not exactly the target audience age-wise, but I like it. Several episodes, by the way, they're soon going to be dubbed into Gwich'in. Also, Princess's brother, he helped start the first Gwich'in immersion program for children. I guess it runs in the family, this commitment to the language. Our thanks to the Seedcast podcast, and the Neotero Foundation. You can find full credits for this episode in the transcript. So here is the subtitle news. We're gonna be back late this year or early next with a season of 20 new episodes. We're hugely grateful to our partners at the Linguistic Society of America and to the National Endowment for the Humanities, which again is funding us. Kavita and me and a few others, we're gonna be chasing down a whole new bunch of language-themed stories. We'll also have an email newsletter soon. It'll be a quick read that I hope will be entertaining too. There'll be lots of recommendations, news of interesting research, some fun stuff. We're also gonna be hitting you up to find out what you would like us to cover. And we're gonna start a Patreon. Yes, we'll be entering the brave new world of patronizing or being patronized. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? I promise it won't be. It'll be much better than that. We also want to say thanks to another partner, the Hub and Spoke Podcast Collective, of which Subtitle is a member. Hub and Spoke has also been busy raising money, enough to create a job, and there is a post for that job online. It's Development and Communications Manager. If you're interested, head over to the website at hubspokeaudio.org. And while you're there, check out some of the other great podcasts like Ministry of Ideas, which describes itself as a small show about big ideas. Well, it's not that small a show, but the ideas are indeed pretty massive. Like in the most recent episode, which is about how technology has affected our understanding of time and our sense of what's sacred and how much time we devote to that. Listen to Ministry of Ideas. Check it out at hubspokeaudio.org. One more recommendation. If you liked this episode, do please check out the Seedcast podcast. The most recent episode you'll find there features a mother and daughter from the Philippines. They've advocated for indigenous territories in their homeland, and now they're doing the same thing globally. Okay, we'll be back with lots more soon. Kavi from her new base in Helsinki, and me from my less-than-new base in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Until then, bye.